0: A uh, quick note before this week's episode, it was recorded during the
1: 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the film being discussed here would not exist. Big fluff. I put a
0: thousand toys in front of me and asked me to choose four. I said I chose the same four objects that belonged to the previous avatar. That's when they told me I could have no family. told me I had a responsibility to the four nations.
1: It's a ceremony when everyone bows to me. That's when I accept my role as the Avatar. But when everyone bowed, I didn't bow back seem like a nice young man you really do you will forgive me won't you for what for luring you down here i have lived in poverty because of your absence avatar so you will understand my actions today <laughs>
0: Everybody, I'm Joel Murphy and I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we
1: watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And it is uh the continuation of Good Ideas Poor Execution month. Uh and we're watching The Last Airbender. Yeah, we are. Not Avatar The Last Airbender. Just The Last Airbender.
0: Yeah. So, that's as good a place as any to begin, I feel like. So, I I think it's... I, I don't even think this fits into maligning or what it fits into, but I just think it's funny to note. I don't think it's a silver lining. It's funny to note that essentially James Cameron uh, screwed this movie over twice. And one of the reasons is because he made a movie called Avatar right before this came out that even though... The animated series that it's based on is called Avatar, The Last Airbender. They just called it The Last Airbender. But secondly, because that film was so successful, they made them make this a 3D movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was when they were making everything a aftermarket 3D, like post-production 3D thing. Well, I don't know why you're saying that, Andy, because that was 2010 when
0: they did that. And now, 13 years later, we can't imagine a world where movies aren't 3D. It's just our lives. It revolutionized cinema, and we all love 3D now. We sure do. Remember back then when we were like, this is just a gimmick and a fad, and it'll probably fade away. But look, now
1: it's still here, so clearly it was popular and good. Yep. And certainly not a way for theaters to make more money. Showing the same movie.
0: And certainly none of those theaters regret buying the projectors that James Cameron told them to to project 3D movies. To specifically just project Avatar. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess he didn't really care what happened after that. It was really just to show his movie. But yeah. Yeah. We, though, if for those of you who are too young to remember, I don't know, maybe that's someone listening. Like, yeah, the world lost its mind in 2010. Not like they're losing their mind now. This is a different thing that had less... This is a much less harm, existential threat. Yeah, it it was a much safer breakdown. But yeah, everything was 3D. Everything had to be 3D. The first Avengers movie was 3D, which is really weird to think about now.
1: Yeah. Which and I, I don't think it was filmed in 3D. I think it was also after like post-production 3D. Well
0: that was, yeah, that was the other deal is most of the 3D things were a cheap pan and scan like you know, cheap like post-production uh, conversion to 3D, which it doesn't look good if you I mean, I don't think any 3D is good. I'm not a fan of the technology, but it especially doesn't look good if you didn't intend a movie to be 3D and then you do that after the fact
1: yeah no like james cameron's avatar the 3d was very well done like it looked very good Mm-hmm. yep didn't need it no no because with that story
0: unobtainium that's so good yeah. it doesn't matter what format you tell that in baby the cat people bam pow yeah come on just pocahontas again but on a different planet ferngully meets smurf sign <laughs> me up <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I do, I give credit to, to Christopher Nolan, who was like the, I, one like big holdout that I remember that they, he was like, you will not make the Dark Knight 3D.
1: Like I refuse. He's like, no, no, I'm shooting in IMAX. That's
0: what I'm doing. <laughs> Which is funny because I give him credit for that, but, uh, there's a whole separate conversation to be had about this. You have to see Oppenheimer on 70 millimeter scam that he's got going, which I read there are 30 theaters in the world that can show a 70 millimeter print of IMAX that isn't just a digital or, you know, of Oppenheimer that isn't digital. That's actually film 30 total. Nineteen of them are in America and two of them are in L.A., but in the whole world, there's 30 of them. But apparently that's how you're supposed to see the movie. So good luck. Guess what I'm not doing. Yeah, I already watched it. And it. I live in L.A., which, again, to be clear, has two of them. And I still didn't see it.
1: Has, <laughs> has 6% of all of them. Yes, of all of the mo- all of the seventy millimeter film IMAX screens in the country. Yeah, it was weird. I saw it
0: at the Americana, and I actually saw Christopher Nolan sitting outside the theater. He was just—it was a coincidental. He just happened to be at the Cheesecake Factory, but he was sobbing when he saw me walk out of the theater and realized I had seen Oppenheimer.
1: And usually, because most people are well aware that. Chris Nolan's happy place is in fact the Cheesecake Factory. He loves it. So you ruined that man's day. (laughs) If he was upset during a visit to the Cheesecake Factory... I heard he had to box up his cheesecake. That's how upset he was. He didn't even eat it. I know. Yeah. Well, he was so full from the 18 chicken strips and four pounds of fries that he got. Here's a fun fact uh, about Nolan and the Cheesecake Factory. It actually
0: takes less time to read the book American Prometheus that the film Oppenheimer is based on than it does to read the Cheesecake Factory menu. Or watch Oppenheimer. (laughs) Yeah, somehow you can read the book quicker than you can watch Oppenheimer. But But it takes longer to read the Cheesecake Factory menu than it does...
1: Yeah. To watch Oppenheimer.
0: But all of those are because of the time distillation that happens while you're in that library and Matthew McConaughey is trying to communicate with you. Right.
1: Yep. That's all true. Anyways, The Last Airbender. <laughs> Was that... Were we not talking about The Last Airbender? And we were. Okay. But let's talk specifically about The Last Airbender. Well, um, you know, speaking <clears throat> of losing lots of time... <laughs> and and only an hour and forty-three
0: minutes. Oh, I didn't I didn't mean us, although that is true. I actually was referring to our, our main character, the the titular last airbender, uh mm. Aang, who is found in the ice and who it turns out lost what, a cool cool
1: century? Cool century, yeah. yeah. Let's start there. So <clears throat> In the TV show, Avatar The Last Airbender, which if you haven't watched, I cannot recommend more highly. I haven't Uh, watched it. It's phenomenal. And you should watch it. It's great. Yeah. I Uh, I have no doubt that that's correct. I just have not watched it. Yeah. And that's entirely fine. Um, But no, like the the animation, the writing, the depth of character, all of it is amazing. All of three, at least three things that are wrong with this movie. Yeah. But uh, I want to start there because... uh, Joel pronounced the, the main character as it was in the show, Ang, but in the movie they pronounce it Ang mm-hmm. for no reason. Which is funny because I haven't seen the show and I still pronounced it correctly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because I live um, in the world.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, many characters had their names pronounced differently in the movie than the show. Uh, Uncle Iroh, they pronounce Uncle Eero. Uh, Sokka, they pronounced Soka. Ang, they pronounced Ong. Um, Which is weird because it's... Nickelodeon was involved in this.
0: It's the same people. I, I don't know. I guess they were just doing a, you know, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Jesus, Ben, I'm busy. Like, I guess they didn't bother to come to the sets and listen. And I mean, it also is clear that it seems like the people who made the film maybe didn't watch much of the show, if any. Well...
1: Although to like here's some quotes from our old friend M Night Shyamalan. He did watch the show and like um it, he got uh, turned on to the show because his daughter wanted to dress as Katara for Halloween, and then um so it had it had seen the show and then there's no evidence of that in the final product of this movie. I I am it is a particular pet
0: peeve of mine and it happens more than you would think where. People don't agree on how to pronounce characters' names in things, and i I think to me the most infamous version is still the fact that he literally had to write this into the that you know movie that we very well uh, could discuss um, Solo. <laughs> but like, it's the fact that Lando Calrissian called him Han Han Solo <laughs> A Ham Salad. Yep. Yeah, but it's just, it's always strange. Like, that happens on Game of Thrones, like, where you'll, multiple people will just say names differently. It's, you would think meetings would happen where people would
1: clarify how to say names, but nope. Well, and I get that, like, when you're adapting, let's say, a book to screen, that, you know, that pron- pronunciation has probably only been said in the audiobook recording which not everyone consumes. Yeah. This is a TV show that that had sound and dialogue.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm it's one like, thing to nah. be like,
1: "Oh, it's not Hermione." <laughs> <laughs> it is Hermione. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, or Ron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Ron Weasley.
0: Mhm.
1: Uh, but no, he, Whereas, like, yeah, this is is it's not like it's based on a comic book or a novel or anything. It's based on a TV show where they they say all the people's names. And then the movie's like, Dad, we know we got this. We know we know where the brother really say them. But here we are. And that's just one of many problems with this film. <laughs> that's just the the tip of the iceberg. Speaking of icebergs, they find the titular avatar frozen in ice. Uh, a plot that takes an entire 23 minutes of uh, episode time is done in 40 seconds in the movie.
0: Well, I, and that's... I guess we should be clear on that. I, I don't think we've officially stated this, but the film is meant to be based on the first season of the TV show, which was, I think, 20 episodes, 20-some episodes. Something like that, yeah, 20, 22 episodes. Yeah, and so that's obviously a lot of ground to cover, and it attempts to cover it all, but I was very weird. I actually read a quote from M.I. Shyamalan that was talking about the fact that he was like, all of his movies are basically 90 minutes, so he was like, I don't know, that's just kind of what I was used to, so I just wrote it to be 90 minutes, and it's like, so you get... 22 hours, you know, half
1: hours of. Uh, so, about roughly 10, 11 hours of content. That you're trying to 90 minutes. Yeah. that Again, now it, it seems, you know,
0: obvious that they probably would have made this a two hour movie or a two and a half hour movie. Or Also, I mean, that's another side note. And I don't want to go back to my friend Chris, who I made cry at that Cheesecake Factory, but like, movies are getting too long. I think we're going too far the other way. And I love a 90-minute movie in general, but I think I think you could have maybe stretched this runtime a little. I think there was a lot of ground to cover. And again, I haven't seen the show, but as a viewer who's just watching this to try to just get the story, even I have the feeling of like, this
1: feels like you're not taking enough time <laughs> to tell this. Yeah, and like, it hit a lot of the main story beats. And not every episode of the book one, the first season of Avatar The Last Airbender, directly influences the, the plot. There's sort of like some like character focused episodes, like not quite monster of the week, but essentially like, you know, the Avatar rolls into town, has to like help the people and grow as a human being. That's not like the major, like overarching story. And those make sense to cut if you're going to make it into a movie like that all kind of tracks. Um, but yeah, this movie just blitzed through some stuff.
0: Well, yeah, it blows through a lot. And then as you could hear in the opening, it's
1: go to move is just these very long exposition dumps. Yeah, these uh, montages while Katara narrates sort of what everyone needs to know to get to the next time that another character talks. Which is what you want in a live action film is... People talking about the
0: things. Tell, don't show. First rule of cinema. That's definitely what you want. You know, you you hire a a young kid that can do martial arts. You want him to stand around
1: and have lengthy <laughs> dialogue. lengthy, and just be talked at. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and that's a lot of this. Like one of the more glaring ones is uh the romance between uh, Soka and Yue is literally just like and they fell in love and then you're supposed to buy it as a ama- like it's a huge moment in the series when uh UA sacrifices herself to become the moon so in order to help save the northern water tribe in the movie it's just like oh okay that that's the thing that happened well
0: it was weird yeah because again watching it as someone from i don't know the outside i guess i i was i kind of had the thought i was like I don't feel like they knew each other that long. I mean, it'd be kind of weird, but it's like, you know, you go out on like one or two dates with a girl and then she's like, I'm going to turn into the moon. And you're like, well, that's a bummer, I guess. But also, OK, I mean, we've all been given that excuse. Yeah, it's not you. It's me
1: turning myself into the moon. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's just one of many things that are rushed. uh, even the fact that like that all of the uh the wind nomads are are murdered like they kind of just brush through that really quick and and ang is is sad for a second and then sees a dragon and then is fine again that's how i am though a lot of times i'm sad yeah. and then i see a dragon and i'm like what was going on that's true i mean yeah no- nothing makes me happier than seeing a dragon but yeah, Joel and I, we do love to chase the dragon. Let's just, you know, as that doesn't have yeah. that doesn't have any other meanings, does it? No, no, no. we love chasing the dragon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's constantly. That's all we we just want to chase that dragon. We'll catch him one day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, and it's just everything is rushed, and obviously you have to edit and winnow things down when you are adapting a eleven hour. 11 hours of content into a hundred an hour and 43 minutes, but. Ugh. Well, there's a question of, should this have been a
0: movie? I mean, we're saying this month is good ideas, uh bad execution, but maybe the good idea was the the original show and maybe adapting a season of a television show into a movie is inherently
1: maybe not a great idea. It might you might be right. Um the good idea was capitalizing on the popularity of Avatar. Right. Which the bad execution was doing it as a hour and forty-three minute movie. Yeah, and directed it, by M. Night Shyamalan. Yes.
0: And maybe there was yeah, a different story that you could have told or a part of the story or something. But yeah, I think trying to condense down the thing was always gonna be a challenge. We should probably also talk about the
1: uh whitewashing of the cast. Yeah. Yeah. Um cuz in the show uh is very heavily influenced by uh many Asian cultures whether it's uh and, and, and indigenous cultures because like the water tribes are very much based on like Inuit, Alouette, you know, like Northern uh, American, Native American or, you know, indigenous tribes. Which is super um,
0: obvious when you're introduced to the these characters when they find him in the ice. And you're like, this is weird. Like, I had that literally watching them where I'm like, it's weird that you're white. Like, it's, it's just... <laughs> because it's, it just... No. Like, because you're not hiding... That this is supposed to be an Inuit
1: culture, (laughs) right? Not, not even a little bit. Um, very much dressed in like seal skins and living in igloos and all of the 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 sort of broad stroke stereotypes of that. Yeah, I mean, you said influence, but it's like it's A to A, like it's (laughs) yeah. Um. Yeah, it, they only had one word from Snow. That's why I say influenced. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, so it, it's, you know, like people have pointed this out, and it's obviously worth uh, noting and, and worth, um, you know, maligning that they made a lot of characters white and then they kept a lot of the villains
1: Asian. And that's. Well, not and, good. and the fact that, that all of the. The Fire Nation, who is very much based on like Imperial Japan in the TV show, uh, was all South Asian. And then the the big bad was Cliff Collins Jr. Uh, or Cliff Collins, who is Maori. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's been cast as literally every ethnicity. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's, it's a bad look <laughs> and
0: it's... It's not a great look at all. Yeah. And again, you have a source material that didn't
1: do that. Right. And I mean, the source material, even though it was made and it's an American production, is definitely heavily influenced by anime. Um, But anime is always like sort of ethnically ambiguous with a lot of their characters, despite coming from Japan. Like there's a broad range of of features and things like that. However, and that was one of the cop out answers that Shyamalan gave to try to justify the casting. But yeah, it's it wasn't a good look, which I'm even going to
0: give Shyamalan the benefit of the doubt and say that, you know, I, I don't know how much
1: control he had over those decisions, to be honest. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was adamant that the actress that played uh, Katara play Katara from what I read. And I was like, OK. Yeah. But I think it was because he was friends with her super rich dad. We've all we've all cast our super rich
0: friend's daughter in, in movies. How do you think yeah. we fund this? That's, we, that's why all of our movies have uh our super rich friend's daughter in them. Yep. Yeah. Harley Quinn um, Smith has appeared in every one of our <laughs>
1: every one of our movies. It's true. Uh <laughs> uh Yeah, and just but it like it it is just a horrible look that all of the villains are. Uh, are brown and all of the heroes are white and it's just mm-hmm. yeah not good mm. um, yeah uh, and just a lot of parts were, were miscast in general I, Jackson Rathbone's a terrible actor that played Sokka like he's just not good at acting like he just looked confused the entire time I think a lot of people in this movie looked confused. And maybe they were. Right? <laughs> maybe they were. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, and like also, like, mischaracterized, like, uh, Ahsoka in the comics or in the TV shows, like, the comic relief character, um, you know, but also shows, like, moments of, you know, competence and all that. In the movie, he's just utterly humorless, like, couldn't be more... Bland and and underwritten, Um, you know, and then uh, Uncle Iroh is like kind of a jerk in the movie, but he's like the nicest guy in the world in the in the uh, animated series. So there's, you know, there's issues. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think one of the other things with this movie, too, and we've sort of touched on it, but just to really state it, because I think it's a big reason to malign it. This movie is just not fun to watch no
1: it, it it it's 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 simultaneously too short and too long yeah well it's 90 minutes but it drags yeah it's it it feels every second of that hour 43 yeah <laughs> like you you feel it you see that it, it it feels like it um and at the same time you're like they really should have gone into more depth of a lot of things but i don't want to watch it anymore than i just did it's a, it's a conundrum yeah it, this movie it, it's it's not good don't don't go watch the show don't watch the movie it is
0: i mean it's fascinating i was saying this a little bit to you before we started i, I do think this might be one of if not the most hated movies that we've done on this show that probably because it's covering something that has a built-in fan base that probably had high hopes for this film, that people hate it. Like, hate it. Hate it. it. And it's not good, but I think because we've done this for so long that it, it does shift your perception of what is a bad film. And while I... I'm not going to defend this movie at all. Like, I I don't think that you can, but it's, I mean, I think it has a 5% on Rotten Tomatoes and like a 20% on Metacritic. And we've watched
1: movies for this podcast that are probably worse that have better scores. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Like, something I was thinking about and very much related to this, if... This movie, shot for shot, word for word, came out and it was an original idea and not based on any existing IP or anything like that, everyone would have nothinged it. They'd be like, oh, that was pretty bad. And then they would have forgotten about it immediately. Which is probably
0: where I'm at, because, yeah, as someone who hasn't watched this show, I'm not annoyed about the way that it mishandled things because I haven't seen the way things were handled. So all I'm left with is... A very forgettable movie that drags
1: yeah and i mean but if you're a fan of the uh the original animated series like this movie is just an affront to all of that like it is it is i would say an even worse adaptation than percy jackson that we watched at the beginning of the month
0: right which and maybe that is the you know we talked about a lot of things but i think ultimately maybe just Not understanding the source material and why people like it is probably what, you know, really led to this film's
1: downfall. Yeah. And it's weird, though, because they both miss the mark in very different ways. Uh, This misses the mark by completely not understanding the characters and rushing through the plot, which is somewhat of a necessity. Whereas Percy Jackson, they kind of got the characters more or less uh, but completely threw the plot out the window and just did whatever they wanted. Yeah, and aged them up, which was a
0: big mistake.
1: Yeah, that was that was definitely a choice uh, to get around labor laws, you know, because that's something the studios are, are, are good at. Trust me, all
0: those times that we cast Harley Quinn Smith, we really had to deal with that.
1: Yeah, had to have onset tutors and, and all of that. Yeah. For the 17 movies that we've made starring Harley Quinn Smith.
0: All of them taking place in a convenience store. Yes.
1: Um <laughs> anyways. Uh, uh should we just pivot and go on to the, the silver linings?
0: Let's just pivot and go on to the silver linings. Cause I <laughs> I'm excited for this part, you know, because this, this is the M night Shyamalan twist, I think, because I I don't know what's about to be revealed. <laughs> uh, the score's really good. Yeah. I mean you really get to hear it when people are monologuing, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um <laughs> uh I mean that's the the thing the movie has going for it the most is the score. hmm Yeah. Um and that actually did get some recognition as a result. And it's it's uh, James Newton Howard who has done a lot of really good scores. He's a really well known uh Theatrical composer uh, has frequently worked with Shyamalan, but we don't hold that against him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And yeah, and it it shows in this movie. This movie uh, is scored really well. Um, While the special effects aren't great. It's not badly made. Yeah, I I, I think things look good. I think the 3D
0: stuff hurts it. You know, but I mean, look, I know Shyamalan is really divisive, but I don't think that he's a bad director, like on a technical level, on a visual level.
1: No, I think, um, I I think he's a bad writer.
0: I mean, I don't even know. I I think that he's a divisive (laughs) writer and I think he has some tricks that
1: I am not the biggest fan of I, um but no he, he has a he has a good eye and he can make a he can make a shot interesting that i think goes without saying
0: hey i have a i know we pivoted but i do have a question for you real quick that just occurred to me yeah we've watched two m night Shyamalan films for this podcast is this worse than
1: the happening? That's an interesting question. Isn't it? Uh, I would. Re- I, if I can go the rest of my life, not seeing either of them again, that would make me a happy boy. I'd be a happy boy if I, if that was the case.
0: But uh, what if you had to? What if Dave Batista uh, showed up at your house and told you that the fate of the world depends on you watching one of these two films at a beach where people turn old? Uh, is he dead the whole time and he's dead the whole time <laughs> and he's trying and, to figure out if you're a superhero and, and this is all actually- taking place in a in a town that seems like it's an old-timey town but in fact it takes place in modern times
1: <laughs> all right given all of that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a that's a hard question. Um, I think I would honestly, re- I, I really dislike The Happening, and I never want to watch that. I think I'd rather watch this. If I had to watch one of them, this or The Happening, and I think I'd rather watch this. I
0: think it's more rewatchable. I mean, you really only have that one old lady going crazy scene to look forward to in The Happening. <laughs> <laughs> and the don't take her if you don't mean it, that whole bit.
1: Yeah, but, um, uh,
0: but no, it, this this I I think is more rewatchable and at least visually way more interesting.
1: Yeah, and like a lot of the action scenes are really well choreographed and, and well directed. Like, um, the fight where they're fighting all the Fire Nation guards and then uh, Zuko comes and saves him uh, and all that. Like, that's a really cool fight scene. I like the way the airbending looked. I know some people were a little bit iffy about that but i thought they made it look i think they did as, as solid a job for the big screen as they could because it's having air move quickly you usually don't see it and you know uh, i thought they found some clever ways to like have the dust particles or the snow or whatever move around like i thought that was pretty well done um
0: i do think the cg has not aged well overall it's not great yeah no but yeah, I I mean the effects that that stuff was interesting to me the way that they they bent things.
1: <laughs> uh, I thought like the earth bending looked the cheesiest, like that seemed the most unrealistic of all of them. But yeah, uh, I kept waiting for
0: nobody bends heart. I mean, there was earth, wind, water, fire, but no heart. That's kind of no. I,
1: see the heart was turned into the moon. Oh, okay, that uh, that track. That's how you heart bend. You turn into the moon. <laughs> Uh, I, look, I have a silver lining and,
0: uh, that's my man, Asif, Can't Ma- wait. Asif Manvi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if he's... I love that guy. I was going to say, I don't even know if he's good in this, like, I, I don't know if his characters is actually good or not, but I love Asif Manvi so much and I got so excited when he showed up and I do think he's good as a villain. I, I really liked him in a series of unfortunate
1: events. He was really fun, like... I, yeah, I I really like Asif Mandvi. I think he's a phenomenal actor. I I don't. He's not intimidating. No, but I. Um, you know, but I I don't know. I was just excited to see him. <laughs> no, it made me happy to see him in this movie. Same thing with with uh, a Clifton or uh, Cliff Curtis, not yeah. Cliff Collins. Cliff Curtis, yeah, who I really like. I think he's a fantastic actor. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, yeah, that character is voiced by Mark Hamill in the animated. Oh wow. Show. yeah Uh, Uh, yeah. is like the big bad but
0: but yeah it's like Asif Manvi acts in a lot more things than I ever remember which is because I still always think of him from the Daily Show but then he shows up a lot like he gets a lot of work and I
1: I understand why he's great no he's like because I think he's willing to take those small parts yeah uh, and you know like he's like all right I got a small role but no small roles only small actors and he and he gives it his all um, and he does it here, too. I th- I mean, I definitely think he's miscast because uh, General Zhao is supposed to be like a pretty intimidating figure. And that's not Asif Manbi's wheelhouse. He's, you know, uh, forever perturbed is, I think, his best characterization. Yeah. And uh, not happy to be here. But, yeah, he was not. Um, yeah, you know, I think I mean, I think that's where he like beleaguered sales clerk is like his is his most well-known look do you he should be offer only
0: for beleaguered sales clerk at this point (laughs) you don't need him to read for it just offer yeah yeah he's he's he need not audition he doesn't have time for you (laughs) (laughs)
1: spider-man um they should just remake clerks with him as dante Hey,
0: look—we've already, you know, we got an inside track on that. So yeah,
1: because our, our rich friend's daughter <laughs> Harley Quinn Smith. I don't know why I'm continuing this bit, but I am. What bit? That's our rich friend's daughter. <laughs> um, no, Asimmonvi. It was funny. It was great to see him. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: it, you know, we—I think fairly recently on the show we were talking about face tattoos. Some
1: good face tattoos in this movie. Yeah, we last week, I mean, when we watched uh, Harley Quinn or uh, Birds of Prey, we talked about face tattoos and. Yeah, there's some good face tattoos. I'm not grasping at straws.
0: These are things I feel good about.
1: There's no straws to be grasped at
0: whatsoever. No, you know what? Um, I'm actually going to. Here, I got it. I mean, I always had it because I've prepared this. But uh, I think it's time now to reveal the thing that I always planned on saying right now. Yeah. So I think that this movie was really pivotal in the career of M. Night Shyamalan, who... Because I I did read a lot of quotes of him talking about it and sort of saying that he, he was really trying to see if he could do a studio film... And kind of make these types of movies. And he kind of found out that that doesn't really work for him. And and that it wasn't well received. And I think, again, he's very divisive. And whatever you think of the man and his movies, he has, from this point, really figured out the exact way to finance and make. The movies that he wants to make, and he he's really carved out a niche for himself. And I think that this film is why he's able to make things like Cabin in the Woods and you know Old and and stuff like that. You know that and Split and Split mm-hmm. that he he figured out what he wants to do and how to make them because his movies make money. Like they're mm-hmm. yeah, they're very profitable and they. He understands that scale. And I think that is what he was always meant to do was these very particular suspenseful genre films. And I think he probably needed to try to do this and it not to work to accept his destiny.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think that's fairly accurate. Um, He, yeah, you know, um, and he was very forthright. And I think a lot of directors in a similar place, uh, have probably always thought, like, can I do the big studio pick? Can I? Is that something? You know, because I, th- there's significantly more money in it. Yeah. Typically. Uh, so it's a reasonable assumption. And yeah, and he realized he's like, you know what? I I had been carving out this niche and I should have stayed there and uh, has made a ton of money with all of his movies, regardless of how well received they are critically or how many of them we end up doing on this show. <laughs>
0: Which we've got a list we got a lot to get around to. We should probably yeah, that, do a Shyamalan month, honestly,
1: just to just to get it out of the
0: way. But uh no, I mean, I, I do think that's always an interesting thing, because I think the real truth of what people discover is if you make those smaller movies, those smaller budget films that he now does. They don't care. They write you a check And then they're like, hey, I don't know, hit us up when the movie's done. (laughs) But if you (laughs) make a movie like this, you are suddenly in so many meetings and so many people have an opinion on every facet of it. And and that's why I say, like, who knows what decisions, you know, ultimately were his because you end up having to do more compromising than
1: you would on a lower budget film there's uh there's there's several more masters to please when making the giant uh studio pick that you have to like that's why uh edgar wright didn't dropped out of doing ant-man that's why you know a few other directors have decided not to do marvel movies yeah i always remember
0: Um, uh i interviewed dennis o'neill years ago who's uh he was the batman editor at dc comics for like during when they did the bane nightfall storyline and stuff and he's just a really fascinating guy. But he always described that as uh, he compared it to Michelangelo. And he was like, if you want to paint the big ceiling, you got a deal. That <laughs> that was how he described it of if you want to make a movie on this level, you have to make a lot of compromises to get it through. Versus again, like you make a beach where people turn old and you you can turn that in in a budget friendly low number you're a rounding error to the studio. Like, <laughs> like, they will never remember that they even greenlit
1: that film until it like, comes oh, out. Like, oh, we made a couple extra bucks there? Great. I will get that avocado toast this morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you cost less than their private jet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, is, that is a pure fact. Um... Anyway, there's a was, strike going on. <laughs> there is a strike going on. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why in this scenario Can, though, can't thinking, yeah. can't put it together. Um, yeah, I don't know if this if watching this movie got anybody to watch the the animated series. That's a good thing because that series is great. I'll let you know. I we'll see. Great. We'll see where I end up. Yeah, um, I'm not even talking. I, that wasn't even like a slanted. Comment towards you. And that's just like in general. I I if said it, I'll do it, man. Like, so I'm not trying to direct anything to my co-host here. Uh, I'm not trying to make any points about how uh, he might be missing out on one of the cultural touchstones of the uh, early to mid aughts. And uh, yeah, if the, if seeing this movie was able to get people to watch some of those fine, this really fantastic work, dude. Then okay, I think that's a good thing. Well, okay, calm it down. What? I'm not I'm not saying I'm just saying I feel very attacked That's a you problem Oh shit dude Do you see that dragon? Let's go get it Silver Linings Playback Is a production Of HoboTrashCan.com If you enjoyed the show Please rate or review it On Apple Podcasts Hear more great shows On the Peak Sloth Podcast Network Like this one
0: we have to ask it's a podcast
1: where we answer the question are you going to eat that what will you leave behind why get out of bed will you be our neighbor i'm marty and i'm jonathan we're two hosts infinite universes we, we have, have to them. ask new interviews every tuesday
0: find us on itunes or online at we or with the other great podcasts on the Peaksloth network at peaksloth.com